Good morning, everybody. If I haven't met you, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the volunteers here at Patch, the Patch Humble Chapel here in Stuttgart. As we always like to do, if you would open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We like to begin with scripture reading. In my version of Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. If you're following along with your Pew Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, it's page 683. But I would always encourage you, everybody should bring your Bibles. Always have your Bibles. We like to hear the sound of the pages ruffling. And uh, it's, it is our, it's our sword. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 14. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 14. This is Jesus speaking. He says, You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Verse 14. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine for out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. If you would please stand with us and open your hymns to hymn number eight. Hymn number eight. Come thou almighty king. Please be seated. Uh, Once again, uh, my name is Ryan, uh, one of the volunteers here, and we just want to welcome you to our our chapel service. We believe that we serve a God that has open arms and is um, welcoming and loving, and from the moment you walk through those doors, we hope and pray that that you really felt that. Here, that uh, this is a place where you can come and belong as a family, where, where you can bring all the burdens uh, throughout the week, and we, we bring them to the Lord here, and then we do life together as, as a community. Now, when you came in, you should have received a bulletin that looks like this. Did anybody uh, not receive one of these? If you did not, then raise your hand. We can, we can get one to you. We do this for several reasons. One, we want to let you in on what's going on within the life of our congregation here. And we have a lot of things going on. Uh, a couple years ago, we were down to about, it was like five people in here. And we've just been going ever since. People have been coming back. We've been re- reintegrated our, our programs like Club Beyond. If Grady, I'm going to put him on the spot like I do every Sunday. If you could raise your hand. Yes, Club Beyond for our youth. So we have things going on for everybody. Uh, we have uh, number one on here, Easter Fellowship. So we... We fellowship together after every service because it's a, it's a part of our worship to eat together and to sit around the table as you see what Jesus did sometimes. He just he fed people and then uh, fed them spiritually and physically. So we, we believe in that. So mark your calendars for that. Um, 
Monday, Thursday service. So we, we're coming up. We're right now. We're doing the our series on the excellence of Jesus, and it culminates in in the Passion Week. So as we prepare our hearts for that, um, we're doing a lot of things in preparation for that. And with that, I'm going to call Kate Porter up here as well to talk about our art show for for um, for Easter. Good morning. My name is Kate Porter, and I am helping organize our chapel art display. As many of you know, we are going to be displaying your art on Easter Sunday, and our theme is the excellence of Jesus. And it could be anything from a video to a painting to a poem. However God has gifted you, you can just relate it back to our theme. We are going to be collecting our art in two weeks on Palm Sunday, so we just wanted to let you know that you have two more weeks to finish your art. Thank you. So I want to talk a little bit about, about that. Um, in, in the mornings, uh, when, when as much as we can, one of my New Year's resolutions was to have a morning devotional with, with Jeanette and with our family or whatever kid is up at the time. And uh, it's, been, it's been really good. But this morning, as we were sitting down there doing our, we call it just our, our daily pause, it's been about, I spent about like 20, sometimes 30 minutes just sitting down. Uh, Jeanette has her journal open and, and, and the Word of God open and a cup of coffee. And, and we just sit there and we just pause and we calm, we calm our souls, right? Um, and, and this morning... Um, in, in my devotional, uh, it talked about there's three, three areas where our, where our minds go. Uh, the shallows, which are all the distractions in life, like what i got to clean up today, who's coming over, what am I getting for lunch, that thing I have lingering for work. There's the midlands, which are the, the, ca- the, the cares of life, like, like my... Uh, if, you're, if your in-laws are getting older, or if your child is sick, or if you're sick, or thinking about retirement, like big, big ticket items. And then there's the depths of your soul, which is the eternal things of faith, hope, love, and joy, the think, thinking about eternal things. And I started to think about how much of my day is, is wrapped up and, and sucked by the, by the shallows in the, in the midlands. And then just to be hanging out in, in the depths, thinking about eternal things. So what we, uh, Pastor Eric and I were, were thinking about when we do art, he has this saying that let's, let's slow down the Army or Air Force or Navy or Marine Corps or Coast Guard or whatever. We slow it down by, by pausing before the Lord. And art is a great way to do that. Because when you're doing art, you have to just get rid of everything else in your mind and focus on what you're doing in front of you. And so things like this, like Jeanette painted this, uh, this picture of the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus. But, but just to, when, you're, when you're doing your art, right? I'm, I'm doing a, a digital video that I've made a while ago, but I'm just going to post it uh, as we're... We want, it, we want you to have your art turned in um, on Palm Sunday because we're going to take a picture of all of your art and then we're just going to loop it on display on, on the TV. And then I'll have my video. It's like two minutes long at the very end of that. And we're just going to have it go cycle forth. But if you're not done by Palm Sunday, don't let that discourage you. We will take it up, at, up until the morning 
of, of Easter Sunday. So we, we wanted it to be on display. Okay? So we wanted to talk about that. The slowing down yourself. You don't have to be a professional artist to be, participate in this. It's just something from your heart. So if you have a piece of white paper and you just scribble something on there or you woke up one morning and the Lord put something in your heart, just draw it and, and post it and share it because you never know how that piece of art will inspire someone and, and speak to them and really, really change their life. Okay? Okay. With other announcements, we have a lot of things going on uh, for PWOC. Uh, did you want me to say something about PWOC, about another event coming up? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, no, no, yeah, no, I'm sorry, that's what it was, Jeanette told me to say this right before, but the women in our chapel get together for prayer immediately following this, okay, that's what it was, yes. And also, don't feel pressured to pray, just to, I mean, to pray about it, we would love and encourage that, but if you just want to come and sit and listen, that's welcome. Yes. It's just for like five minutes. Just for about five, five or ten minutes, whatever, and uh, the men, we can't do that because we'll be watching all the children while you pray, so. Take advantage of that time. Okay, uh, for, for the men's group, we have a, a men's group that meets every uh, Thursday morning, 6.30 at Kelly at the canteen. I'm part of that. It's wonderful. We encourage anybody who, who works over there to come out. And if, if you don't work there, if you work in other places, start one of your own. It's great. It's one, it's one of the highlights of my week is to start the day with the guys that, that we all work at Kelly, that we, we, we eat and we pray together and we go through the word. Uh, it's, a different, it's a different book every time. We keep going until we finish that book. Okay, uh, video and social media ministry. I'll put a plug in for this one. So every, every Sunday, um, we record these services. We put online. And we're getting a lot of reps and sets in. I want to teach people, because we live in this uh, digital age where this is how a lot of people find um, good teaching. Uh, they, they, they get ministered to through social media, and I, what, what I want to do is teach you everything I know about it. I have a, I have a background in it, so I'm just going give to give away all my secrets on how things go from concept, from, from filming to editing to, to online, okay? And uh, we do that right after. I'm going to head over there to that room, plug in my computer, and show you how I do those things. Okay, um, youth ministry for our Club Beyond group. Grady, do you have any announcements for... For our group. We got uh, one more club this Thursday for middle school, but we'll take a break the following week. Okay. And uh, Grady, so every Thursday you meet at what time in this room? We'll be over at 145 to 245. Okay. Shootles tonight and Club Beyond. A lot happening with Club Beyond. And Grady, so um, on, on Thursdays, when, they have the, when the children have early out and they meet in that room, how many children are in that room on Thursdays? Uh, we had 53 last Thursday. 53. So this is great. Yeah, that deserves a round of applause. That's great. And I think there's, there's I mean, every parent, right? It's, it's how much joy does that bring you to know that your children have a place to fellowship with other children and they're hearing uh, teaching from the word of God as well as having fun and doing goofy things in there. It's just an answer. It's an answer to prayer that we didn't have a couple years ago. So if you can bring your children out to that middle school and up. Okay. With, with that, uh, we do have a music ministry here that, uh, that Miss Rachel is, is leading so, so wonderfully. And if you want to join that, um, what are the credentials, Rachel, to join the, join the choir? Um, enjoy singing. And yes. If you can't read notes. 
then you have to listen to someone who can. <laughs> okay, so feel free to join us for that. Um, that concludes our announcements. If there's any other saved rounds for announcements, does anybody have anything they want to announce? Okay, with that, would you please stand with us and turn to hymn number 352. Hymn number 352, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Please be seated. As we continue our, our worship, I'm going to ask Michelle to come up as we worship through the reading of the word. Good morning, everyone. Uh, we'll be reading uh, Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 11. And as you find it, you can find it on your Pew Bible on page 131. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 11. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you, sent you out of all the chosen you out of all of the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people his treasured possession the lord did not set his affection on you and chose you because you were more numerous than other peoples for you were the fewest of all peoples but it was because the lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the, the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his command. But to those who hate him, he will repay to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay to their face those who hate him. Therefore, take care to follow the commands, decrees, and laws I give to you today. Our New Testament reading will be coming from 1 Peter, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. And you can find that in your pew Bible on page 858. First Peter 2, 9 through 12. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This is the reading of God's word. As we transition to our, uh, the next part of our worship together, I'm going to call the ushers up as we collect our offering. This is a time where we, where we set aside to, to pray. Um, if, you, if anybody has any prayer requests, uh, feel free to, to share that with the group. But I'd like to talk about uh, this time of, of prayer right now. So at any time, just raise your hand if you have a prayer request. The importance of pausing before uh, continuing in worship, uh, Jesus talked about this frequently. Really, the reality is anything could steal our lunch throughout the day. You could be having a great day, someone just says something to you, and that's it, and then you're done. Or someone could not say something to you or not, like, not say hi to you, and then, and then your mind's off. Something could happen 10 years ago, and it lingers, and, it ha and there's this bitterness that, that, that carries on from day to day. And this is the beauty of what, what Michelle read from, from uh, 1 Peter, is that as royal priests, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence at any moment and at any time for anything that's happened, because we can, it takes a second to, to get out of fellowship with God, and it's the means by which, confession is the means by which we just step right back into the light. So in this time where we're going we're gonna to have to pause and to just pray and to bring anything to the Lord that's on your heart. Something that could have happened this morning, yesterday, last night, 20, 30, 40 years ago. doesn't matter. If it's in a mindset, I call these uh, STDs, anything you say, think, or do, that would make you get out of fellowship with God. It's a time where you can just say, Lord... I said this, I thought this, or I did this. First John 1 John 1.9 says, When we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All. So after we confess the, those S, T's, or D's, I encourage you, move right into thanksgiving. Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you, and I pray for and I thank you for the healing that's going to come from what you brought through the cross for this situation. Okay, let's bow our heads. Let's take about a minute to bring our confessions and our prayers to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that we have to, to go directly before you 
as royal priests, a holy nation, people chosen by God. And we can approach the throne of grace with confidence because there's no condemnation, Lord. We can bring all of our sins to you and we thank you collectively as a group for, for your forgiveness. We thank you that we have one Savior and that our salvation or our deliverance or our peace or our hope or our joy doesn't have to come from anybody on this earth. It doesn't have to come from any circumstance going our way. It doesn't have to come from anything here on earth, but it only comes from you. We thank you that you supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory. Lord, we thank you that we need nothing on this earth but you for true hope, peace, and joy. Lord, we thank you for receiving our confessions and that we are cleansed from all unrighteousness so that when we sit here and hear the teaching of your word that it penetrates our hearts and that the word bears fruit in our lives and is not snatched up by the enemy. It's not choked up by the worries of the world. It's not drowned out. It's not a shallow faith, but it will bear fruit today. And we pray all these things in your most beautiful name. Amen. I'll call up Pastor Chris for the teaching of our word. Well, good morning, royal priesthood. Good morning, light of the world. Good morning, elect of God. Good morning, bride of Christ. Lots of descriptive ways that God looks at us and relates to us and sees us, isn't there? This morning, as we move closer to Easter, which is only like, what, three weeks away now? We're going to look at the passion of the Christ. And, and this message will be very easy for you to follow. It contains four points, and each point is a definition for the word passion. So the passion of the Christ. And these are the points. We won't go exactly in this order, but, but passion can mean love. That is a strong and amorous feeling or desire. Love. We're going to talk about the passionate, unconditional love of Jesus. The love that he has for each one of us. The word passion can mean any powerful or compelling emotion or feeling. That is zeal. A strong and enthusiastic devotion to a cause, ideal, or goal, and tireless diligence to its furtherance. Christ was full of zeal. The word passion can refer to the suffering of Jesus and the events leading up to his death on the cross. And we'll talk a little bit about Jesus' sufferings. And then the word passion can refer to a person. The person toward whom someone feels strong love. The object of someone's affection. We are Christ's passion, you and I. So first, the word passion can mean love. Jesus loves us. And he gave us a new command 
that we should love others in the same way that he loves us. His love for us is unconditional. Now, we do not really understand unconditional love. Unconditional love is difficult for us to process and to accept as reality. And that's why Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, that you, this is prayer, that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp just how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. His prayer is we would know love beyond understanding, beyond knowledge. Christ's unconditional love. Now the Bible says that God is love in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. We learn in Genesis that God created mankind in his own image. Therefore, if God is love and we are created in God's image then that means that we are designed for love. To know love and to give love, says Erwin McManus in his book, Soul Cravings. He says, therefore, that when we give up on love, everything else seems to go with it. Joy, hope, forgiveness, compassion, they are all interconnected. When love does not come to us, it breaks our heart. When we do not give love away, we harden our hearts. We cannot live life unaffected by love. We are most alive when we find love. We're most devastated when we lose love. Most empty when we give up on love. And most inhumane when we betray love. But we are most passionate when we pursue love. We are created to know God, and we are created to know love. From the very beginning, we were made for love. The Bible says that God is love. God equals love. It's his essence. It is maddening, therefore, when we are searching for God, and we all do, and yet running from God. That is, it is all maddening when we're searching for love and yet running from God because God is love. There are many people who believe in love, right? But we don't believe that we're worthy of it. You find them moving from one destructive relationship to another. What they call love, any reasonable person would call abuse. They are held hostage by their need for love. They are made victims because they don't believe that they deserve real love, and so they will settle for whatever substitute that they can get. They serve as examples of the painful reality that human beings fear almost nothing more than being alone and unloved. And yet, the truth is that God's love for us is unconditional. He loves us right where we are, no matter our sin, no matter our shame, no matter our failures, no matter our shortcomings. 
but he also loves us too much to let us stay there. What father would not try and guide their children, their son or daughter, out of a destructive situation, away from destructive choices? Yet we are all actually far more comfortable with conditional love rather than unconditional love. And so we ask each other, don't we, husbands and wives, do you love me? Well, yes. I love you. Why? That's the next question. Tell me why you love me. I love you because you're beautiful and because you're smart. Because you're truly funny and you allow me to get credit for your jokes. Because you sing like an angel and you minister to my soul. Because you put your whole heart into this marriage, your whole self into our children and our family. That's why I love you. You see, we don't believe that we can be loved without good reason. And that's why we ask the question. The truth of the matter is that we are uncomfortable with God because we are disoriented by the way that he loves. We want God to love us, but at the same time we find ourselves nervous before him, hesitant. Because he sees right through us and he knows everything that is unlovable about us. He tells us that he is our place of rest and acceptance and unconditional love. But it is so hard for us to accept it because we know who we are. We know all that is unlovely within us. We wonder how we've become worthy of such love. And that's what worries us. We know that we are not. And so we run. We run from God because he sees us best. We run from God to escape our own sense of unworthiness. We run from God because we are certain that the closer that we come to him, the more guilt and shame we will feel. When actually the exact opposite is true. Judas, the most infamous of Jesus' disciples, looked straight into the face of love and remained blind to it. When he chose to turn against Jesus, Judas betrayed him with nothing less than a kiss. And we are like Judas. When God does come to embrace us, to meet us face to face, to bring us into relationship with him, we far too often find ourselves betraying his love. And yet God's love is undeterred. He still pursues each of us with a relentless passion. God is the passionate lover of humanity. He created us for love. We cannot live without love. And we don't have to. God is love. It is insanity to run from God and yet search for love. Love searches for you. 1 John chapter 15, verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. The truth is that Jesus is dying to love us. He did die 
to love us. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. On a cross, Jesus of Nazareth hung stripped and beaten for love. Rejected by those he loved. It would be easy to conclude that God made a fool of himself. What was he thinking to die for love? He gambled everything on the power of love. That love was more powerful than hate. That love was more powerful than death. What was he thinking to die for us? To give himself for you and for me. Knowing that we might just kiss him. And walk away. Which brings us to the second meaning of the word passion, and that is suffering. Specifically, it refers to the suffering of Jesus leading up to his death on the cross. We call it Passion Week. And I won't spend too much time here, as I know we recently heard a sermon in our current series on Jesus as our example in suffering. But understanding Jesus' suffering in our context is important because Jesus could have avoided the suffering. All he had to do to avoid the suffering was not love us so much. Before the crucifixion, Jesus was first struck in Caiaphas' presence. And then he was beaten by the palace guards. They also laughed at him and insulted him. Next, he was scourged under Pontius Pilate, nicknamed the halfway death, where he was stripped naked, tied down, and whipped with a deadly flagellum to tear skin from bone 39 times. After that, he was beaten again by a whole company of soldiers. Then they put a purple robe on him. And twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, the King of the Jews. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid fake homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off their purple robe, put on his own clothes, and then led him out to crucify him. Now this is all before the actual judicial punishment of the crucifixion itself. It's verses like these why I personally have such great difficulty understanding how someone can read the Bible, the whole Bible, and somehow come to the conclusion that God is mean, or vindictive, or hateful. How is it that somebody can read the Bible, the whole Bible, and not have their eyes open to the amazing love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord, who unselfishly gave his life on our behalf? Isaiah says that he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed 
for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. We must never, ever forget that the cross was real. The scourging and the beatings were real. The blasphemy and the insults were real. The nails were real, and so was each anguished breath of our Savior on the cross. But above all, his love for us is real. His passion for you and for me. Which brings us to the third point. The word passion can mean zeal, which is a powerful or compelling emotion or feeling. It is a strong, enthusiastic devotion to a cause, ideal, or goal, and a tireless diligence to its furtherance. Christ was full of zeal. His mission, our salvation. His motivation, pure love. When Jesus confronted the money changers in the temple by cracking a whip and throwing over the tables of those who were holding God's grace for ransom, his disciples remembered this prophecy. Zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. Now, isn't that true? When those we love are insulted, We take it to heart ourselves, don't we? If you don't believe me, just talk bad about a mother's children to the mother. Go ahead. Let me know how that turns out for you. Or insult that man's wife right there. Let me know how it goes. In the seventh grade, I got suspended from school. Actually, it was up in Bitburg, Germany. I got suspended from school because of a physical altercation I got into when somebody was talking about my mama. Right? You don't talk about my mama. And now you know that. (laughs) Right? We have a certain zealousness to stand in for and protect. The ones we love. The zeal of the Christ directed his path and it defined his journey. After his arrest, after the beatings in the head with a stick by the soldiers, after being spit on and rejected by his own people, after the scourging by the order of Pilate, after those closest to him abandoned and denied him, what in the world allowed Jesus to take up that cross and continue taking those steps down the road to Golgotha? At any time, he could have ended the suffering. At any time, he could have stopped the pain. But nothing, nothing was going to keep him from his mission. Jesus knew what he wanted to accomplish and why he wanted to do it. And so passion is a goal, a purpose, 
a desire, a zeal that absolutely consumes us. Our passions direct our paths and define our journey in this life. We know that Jesus was zealous for us. He proved it by his suffering. His zeal is without question. The real question this morning for us is, are we zealous for him? Would we suffer for him? If Christ is our passion, then we will have a strong, enthusiastic devotion and tireless diligence to our Savior. If Christ is our passion, who in this world will keep us from living a righteous life worthy of his sacrifice? Who can subdue us from studying his holy word, from worshiping him faithfully in a community of believers in like mind and like spirit? Who can stop us from taking a stand for what is right and what is true and what is noble and what is scriptural? Who can keep us from loving others as God loves us? and extending to them the undeserved grace and forgiveness that Jesus gives us. What will keep us from our godly mission when we are full of zeal for it? And the answer is nothing. Absolutely nothing. Which brings me to our final point this morning. The last definition for the word passion is the object of someone's affection, the person toward whom someone feels strong love. And that's us. Can you believe it? We are Christ's passion, you and I. Again, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you're not real good at memorizing scripture, this is a good one to remember. It tells us basically all we need to know in a simple verse. Who did Christ die for? Christ died for us. For you. For me. For your children. For your parents. For your siblings. For your friends. For your enemies. For sinners. He died for us. And that's how we know he loves us. Because no matter what else is going on in your life, whatever tragedy, whatever suffering, whatever pain, whatever event that causes you to question if God is present, does he care? Does he even know you exist? We can look to the Holy Scriptures and know that God is present. Without his presence, the universe could not hold itself together. And that God does care. In fact, he cares enough that he has already exchanged his life for your own. And he does know you exist. You are the apple of his eye. You are the object of his love. You are his passion. He created you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He became flesh and made his dwelling among us to show us the way. And he willingly gave his life for you and for me. He gave his life for love. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says that Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God. 
He died for us. He died to bring you to God. And as we retell the Passion and the Easter story, remember, all of this that we're about to celebrate was all for you. Jesus is God. And God is a God of passion. He's not a force. He's not an energy that's indifferent to human creation. And he has created us like him with passion and desire and emotion. God is the fire that burns within our souls. It's good when our passion is directed toward goodness. The goal of spirituality is not to to take away our passion or our desire or our excitement. The call of Jesus is the exact opposite. The Bible says delight in him and he will give us the desires, the passion of our hearts. We are his passion. I hope the scriptures that I shared this morning make that true and concrete for all of us. We are his passion. Again, the question we have to ask ourselves, is he ours? Will we choose to love him in the same way that he loves us with all of our mind, with all of our whole, with all of our soul, with all of our heart, and with all of our strength? Will we join Christ in his sufferings taking up our cross daily to follow him? Will our zeal for Christ consume us, direct our paths, and define our journey? Will we do whatever it takes to live a life glorifying to him? And will Jesus be the object of our affection? Will he be our passion in this life and the life to come? I pray that he will. Amen. Please stand. We're going to sing together hymn number 724. Lead on, O King Eternal. Hymn number 724.